Hi, and welcome again to today's podcast. I'm talking with Dr. Tim Cook. He's the author of multiple books. He's a public historian, an academic historian, and a popular historian. So as he told me, he's a bit of a hybrid historian, which is absolutely fantastic. Of course, as you know, I love to interview anybody from academics to students to scholars to amateurs to podcasters to authors and so much more. If they love talking about their topic, I love learning more about it at the same time. And sometimes the topics are not Canadian, although this one is, and I am. I'm Rosie, I'm a Francophone from Canada, and this is my podcast. Now I guess it's time to get into the Canadian military history. Today we're talking with Dr. Cook, and I am so excited to be talking to him. Um, I've heard him speak when he came to our city to do a presentation, and I'm hoping that he can give us a little taste of what he talked about. But before that, I would actually want to say just thank you for being here. It's so exciting to have you on. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I know our topic's a little bit loose, and uh, you know we have some ideas in mind, but what is it you wanted to talk about today? Well, I'm happy to talk about anything, but um, perhaps we can talk a little bit about how I see history. And um, I'm very lucky in that I'm I'm an academic historian. I have a PhD in history, but I work at the Canadian War Museum, and I before that I worked at the National Archives. So I've always worked in a public history environment. And I guess my books, of which I have my 12th and 13th book coming out in June and in September of 2020, would probably classify me as a a popular historian as well. So I I think I straddle three areas, the academic, the public, and the popular, and perhaps there's something there we can talk about. Absolutely. How about we just start right at the beginning? So how did you become interested in history? What sparked your love for history? Well, I I grew up in a family of historians. Uh, Both of my parents, uh, Terry and Sharon, have PhDs in Canadian history. So, of course, I tried to do anything but history. In high school, I wasn't a terrific student, but I was lucky enough to go to Trent University in Peterborough. And there, uh, I think like many young people, I encountered uh, wonderful uh, professors. And at Trent, there were a number who uh, really inspired me. Before that, I had uh, gone to the Western Front when I was about 17 years old. My parents took me there. And that had an impact on me to walk the silent cities of the dead and the fallen soldiers to look at the headstones of those young Canadians at Vimy and uh, the Somme and Beaumont Hamel. And and that I remember at the time, uh, being at Vimy Ridge, being at Beaumont Hamel, feeling the impact of history there. And I, I didn't race home and start devoting my life to military history or Canadian history, but that had an impact. So that with Trent, I think, um, really, I guess, inspired me to think more about history. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was lucky to uh, win a scholarship to the Royal Military College of Canada in Kingston, and there I uh, studied Canadian military history 
and uh, really began to research what became my first book, No Place to Run, which was about gas warfare and the Canadian soldiers in the First World War. And without going into all the details, as I was researching that, I began to read and to study the letters and the diaries of those young men who served. And I found that uh, there were very powerful, uh, evocative eyewitness accounts. And I think if one sees a theme through my 13 books now, I, I think it's those eyewitnesses to history, both in the First World War and, and more recently my books on the Second World War, where I let the participants um, guide me through the history. Uh, of course, I read widely and uh, I understand the historiography and of, of many countries, but it's always those powerful, poignant accounts. And I think that to me has always been the stuff of history, to hear from those who were there and those who, uh, in the case of Canadian military history, those who served and sacrificed, those who never came home, uh, and those who did come home changed. Absolutely. I mean, we're so lucky knowing more recent history with these letters, or even if you had a chance to talk to any veterans, it's so special to know that human side. It is, yeah. And I'm very lucky having worked at the War Museum for almost 20 years now, and seven or eight years before that, the National Archives. Uh, I've always had a chance to speak to veterans, and I, I find that's a great privilege. My grandfather flew in Bomber Command in the Second World War. Gordon Cook was his name. He survived. He passed away uh, when I was only three or four years old, so I really didn't have a chance to talk to him. But through my father, Terry, through many other veterans, I've, I've had a chance to hear their stories. And that's important, I think. It's important for us to ask questions. More importantly, perhaps it is for us to listen. And I've spoken to veterans for the 25 years. I've read letters and diaries. And I've always been amazed at, I, I think, what I would call the hidden history, or as I I called it, I guess, in my, my last book, The Secret History of Soldiers, all of that stuff that is often not written down in the official records, but which is so important to understand how Canadian uh, men and, and women in the Second World War survived, how they endured, how they dealt with the unending strain and stress, what it was like to kill, uh, to see friends who were killed, they're the ones who can guide us and they're the ones who can share that important hidden secret history. Absolutely. Those accounts are really important and it's great that we have access to them. So you mentioned working at the archives and the museum. What would the job be working at an archive? Well, I was very lucky to get a job at the National Archives of Canada, as it was called then. Now it's called Library Archives Canada. And I, I worked as a reference archivist, and I loved that. I, I helped researchers come in, uh, professional historians, uh, grad students at the PhD level and the MA level, Canadians with an interest in history, genealogy, um, who are studying their family history, professional researchers who were engaged in land claim research or uh, research for D&D or other government departments. And so I, I really learned the collection. Um, I understood in quite intimate detail the, the government records and the private records and the photographs and the film. And of course, the archives has been called the memory house of the nation. There's 20 million photographs and uh, more than a million maps and cartographic material. So it was a real storehouse of history, and uh, it was a, a delight to be there. Um, I continued to research and write my own articles and books, 
And then in 2002, I was invited to go to the Canadian War Museum to help set up the new war museum. And that was just an incredibly uh, rich experience. I was the uh, historian responsible for the South African War and the First World War Gallery. And I, I learned on the fly, as everyone did, there had not been a lot of history museums created in Canada at that point. And um, dealing with the history, trying to figure out how to take this complex story and present it to all Canadians, um, how to draw out the story of material culture and artifacts, the incredible war art collection, the photography, the film, the uh, reconstructed spaces. Uh, those who have been to the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa will know of walking through the trench or the Passchendaele space. Um, there was a lot of work behind planning that and the intellectual work and also in the presentation. And I've uh, been very proud of that. And, and I continue to work at the Canadian War Museum where I've primary day, if you were to ask me that, as you said, um, it can really is, it can be anything. It's a fascinating experience. Every day I learn something new from my colleagues, from uh, helping the public, working on exhibitions and public programs, and feel very uh, grateful to be a part of that institution. What was your either favorite exhibit or favorite find that you were able to incorporate in an exhibit? What was sort of the biggest surprise and exciting part I think my favorite part at working at the War Museum is is the material culture. It's the artifacts. It's um, it's those stories that are embedded in the material culture, and there are just dozens or hundreds of of powerful stories um, that I've encountered. I've tried to work some of those into my books uh, at the Sharp End and Shock Troops, my two volume history of the First World War, very much influenced by. My research at the museum and the stories I encountered there in archival letters and documents and in and in the metal sets and the uniforms and the weapons. If I had to choose one, I think it might be the story of, of Lawrence Rogers. He was a, a fairly old soldier. I think he enlisted in about 37 or 38. He went overseas. He left behind two children and a wife. He served on the Western Front. He was a medic, uh, or what they called at the time a stretcher bearer. He was caring for the wounded, and at Passchendaele, he was uh, killed by an artillery burst. They found his body, and on his body they found a teddy bear, and the teddy bear had been given to him by his daughter Eileen. And that was a very powerful story for me. The teddy bear itself was sent back to the family. Lawrence Rogers was buried, and then his body was lost. It was destroyed in subsequent fighting. And I thought about that family that for 90 years had this teddy bear, a teddy bear that they had given to a father who had gone off to war, who had never come home. And that teddy bear uh, met with the family and they donated it to the War Museum and it's now on display there. And I think of the power in that single artifact and how that can tell um, stories of service and grief and sorrow and I think there are many artifacts like that at the Canadian War Museum, which really can't help but move visitors as they pass through the, the historical experience. Yeah. I've seen that the museum has done short video segments, and you've been involved in those. 
Do you mind sharing your experiences concerning these videos and um, and other types of media you've done at the museum? Well, we have a, a great outreach at the museum. You know, we believe uh, strongly that we're we're there to collect and care for those artifacts that are donated to the museum, but also to share these stories. And we do that through the permanent exhibitions. We do it through temporary exhibitions, uh, and now more recently through social media. And I have been involved in all of those, um, and, and I enjoy that process. One of the things that's quite challenging at the museum is that there's, a, you know, a lot of opportunities to speak to the public through the media. And one of the things I've done for probably 10 or 15 years now is uh, usually on Remembrance Day, um, occasionally on Vimy Day, the 9th of April, um, sometimes on D-Day, the 6th of June, or VE Day, the 8th of May. I've been a historian on the air for um, usually for CBC Radio, but CTV as well in the past. And I, I think that's an important role for the historian to be a public historian, to share these important stories with Canadians so that they um, have a greater sense of uh, of their own shared past and um, to help explain and sometimes explore our our history of Remembrance Day and acts of commemoration, two minutes of silence and the poppy and John McRae and the role of veterans in Canadian society. And so I, I hope that when I do those television broadcasts that I'm bringing some historical understanding to these contemporary events that are grounded in our past. Yes, that definitely helps Canadians put into perspective why we're commemorating these events. So you've mentioned you've done some radio and you've done some videos and you've also mentioned some books, which were fantastic, by the way. <laughs> um, what's the process of writing a book? Like, how do you pick your topic? Well, there's a lot of research beforehand. And I, I think uh, having just finished my 12th and 13th book that... Um, I'm not standing, starting from scratch anymore, but at some point you do start from scratch. And so that uh, Master's of War Studies thesis I did at RMC, graduated in 1996, that led to my first book, No Place to Run, my PhD, uh, which led to my second book, Cleo's Warriors, which is on the writing of Canadian military history and the, the history behind the history and the wars of reputation that occur after after the First World War and after the Second World War. They all help me build forward, as does my exhibition work, um, as does the commentary I do in the media and preparing for that. Um, and so it, it does come together. And as we started the show talking about being an academic historian and a public historian and a popular historian, and I think my, where I became a popular historian was really my two-volume history, uh, At the Sharp End in 2007 and Shock Troops in 2008. I had a tremendous amount of research. Um, I had been researching the topic for oh, five, six, seven years intensely. I'd, we had opened the Canadian War Museum in 2005. And I set out to write uh, a book, in that case, two books, that would be for all Canadians. So not just academic scholarly pieces, which I had done and continue to do, but history that could tell Canadians about their country, about their ancestors, about those Canadians who served and fought in the First World War in that case. And um, if one looks at the, those books, I think they have about a thousand footnotes each, of most of it primary source archival material. And yet there is a strong narrative element to those books. And as we talked about before, we we see and hear the words of those 
um, who are on the Western Front or other theaters of war, primarily the infantry and the machine gunners and the gunners, but also the nurses and the doctors behind the lines and those at home who waited and worried. And those two books were national bestsellers, and they won a number of national uh, awards. And that put me on a different trajectory. Uh, and I began to think about writing history that would be more accessible to all Canadians, not just those with a PhD, but was still underpinned by deep archival research and an understanding of the major historical trends that continually shift and change over time. And I think that is how I define my books and my work. And so I followed those works with my double biography of Sir Arthur Curry and Sir Sam Hugh, The Madman, The Butcher, followed by a double biography of uh, Sir Robert Borden and Mackenzie King as wartime prime ministers called Warlords, and a two-volume history on the Second World War, and, and I won't go through all the books. But each of those books usually has something that I want to answer, something I want to present. And I guess I'll just pick one, my book on Vimy, The Battle and the Legend from 2017. What really motivated me there was why, as we were coming up to the 100th anniversary, why did we still care about Vimy? You know, why was it on our $20 bill? Why is it in our passport? I had visited Vimy as a young man. It had a tremendous impact on me, but a lot of people have never been there. And so that book tried to understand and present both what happened in the battle, those four bloody days from the 9th to the 12th of April 1917, where Canada clawed its way up the ridge and captured it, but also the power of the Vimy legend over time and how Vimy became an important martial symbol for Canadians. And part of that is obviously the building of the memorial there. But there are other elements to that story. So that was a really interesting book for me to write because as I was researching it, as I was pouring through archival records, and that book required uh, a broader reading of things like textbooks and speeches and the way that we've talked about Vimy and war over time. And it came out in that book, and I was very pleased. That book seemed to have resonated with Canadians. I was at Vimy Ridge with CBC for the four-hour live broadcast. There were 25,000 Canadians there. It was an incredible day, and there were people holding up my book and kind of shouting to me from the crowd. And that's a memory that I will uh, hold and cherish for my whole life. Oh my goodness, that sounds like a fantastic event. When I was at your presentation about the secret history of soldiers, you had talked a bit about the use of language and the way that the culture was built during the war among the soldiers. So can you elaborate a little more on that, please? Well, the secret history of soldiers was... Uh the culmination of about 20 years of research, uh, not 20 straight years. I'd written a number of books in between and, and had done exhibitions and everything else. But it's, it's the culmination of reading hundreds, if not thousands, of individual soldiers' letters and diaries. And as I was reading this material, I began to see that there was a culture that was emerging here, a culture of the soldiers. And I saw it as a, a culture that was a shield to protect them against the unending stress and strain of the war. We know about the artillery bombardments and the snipers and the chemical warfare uh, of the rats and the dirt and the deprivation. And I'd always wondered, I think many other people too, how did they survive that? Uh, why didn't they all break down and suffer from shell shock? And of course, some did. But in fact, most did not. And so I wondered, why was that? And 
part of the answer was discipline and commanders and a reward system. But more importantly was this culture of the soldiers, and it's a culture of singing, of theater shows, of language and slang, as you mentioned. They published their own newspapers in the trenches. They uh, embraced and spread rumors. They were deeply superstitious, and I had a chapter in that book on ghost stories and um, the supernatural, which was fascinating. And all of this material cams from the soldiers themselves. It comes from their letters and diaries. And I pulled that together in The Secret History of Soldiers, and I, I think it's quite a unique offering. I've had um, Canadians from across the country, people from around the world write to me and, and thank me that they have a better sense now of what their great-grandfather or their great-uncle did during the war, but also how they survived. And that it was not one long nightmare not to diminish the suffering that occurred on the Western Front. And yet there were periods of joking and laughter. And these were young men who found ways to come together through song and through theater and through all of the many means that they employed to survive. And I talk about reading in the trenches and I talk about writing letters and the importance of staying in touch with loved ones at home. And all in all, I think that this is an important, and as I called it, secret um, factor in how these Canadians survived. And for added bonus, I think, there was a Canadian culture, a unique Canadian culture. They drew upon British culture and, and to a lesser extent, other Dominion forces, Australia, Newfoundland, separate at the time. But there's also a unique Canadian culture, English Canadians and French Canadians and New Canadians and Indigenous Canadians all coming together in the Canadian Expeditionary Force, where about one third of adult males served. And this culture had little been recognized before, and I think it's an important element to how they survived. Yes, I wonder how much we can transpose this type of culture, not necessarily this culture, but this idea of having a different culture to other platoons or other areas of the wars, I mean, just in general. Yeah, I think there is a unique um, soldier's culture. And then when I say soldier, I mean the, the airmen and the sailors as well. Certainly in the Second World War, we see this. And um, my two-volume history, The Necessary War and um, Fight to the Finish, I talk about um, how these generally young men survive the strain if it's on a Corvette or in a Sherman tank or in an infantry platoon. And I think we see the same in Korea and uh, in Afghanistan. And I I've had a chance to talk to veterans, and um, many of them have said, yeah, um, what you write about here, we heard from our fathers or our grandfathers, and it it was a similar type of culture that we developed, although different, obviously, as, as time moves on. Uh, and I think that there's something about that, that these groups, uh, generally of young men, often in harm's way, have to turn to one another, and how they create those bonds um, is very important. And that's what the book um, explored. And I think other scholars will, will come to it and, and think about how it might apply um, to other, other wars or other campaigns throughout history. Yes, it's definitely a different line of thought when we read into these different types of histories. And you've mentioned working on another book. So I'm really excited to know what it is and what it's about. So do you mind talking to us a little bit about that? Yeah, my pleasure. Um, my new book is called The Fight for History, and it's about the Second World War. 
Uh, It was supposed to be out, but of course we're in the middle of the pandemic right now and everything is closed. And so it's been delayed until September of 2020. But I'm really excited about this book. It is to some degree a continuation of the Vimy book. I wondered if I could write a similar book on the Second World War. The Vimy book was really about um, Vimy as a legend, as a story, as a narrative, as a myth, and a powerful one. And I wondered, why wasn't there a similar Vimy for the Second World War? I think in more modern years, we have Juno and we have the Juno Beach Center there now. But for a long time, we didn't talk about the Second World War in the same way. And I found that very strange because in the Second World War, 1.1 million Canadians served in uniform, 50,000 of them women. Um, Almost the entire society was mobilized for war. We fought around the world, uh, on the oceans, in the air, on multiple continents. And yet, at the end of that war, that necessary war, as I have called it in one of my books, a war that had to be won against uh, really the, the evil of the Nazi regime, Canadians left the war behind. And I wanted to know why. Why didn't we talk about the Second World War the same way that we talked about the Great War? Some people talk about the Great War as the birth of the nation. Well, you can't be born twice, even though the Second World War had a profound effect on our country. We were increasingly urbanized. We were industrialized. There was a development of a Canadian identity and culture. We became more tidally linked to the United States financially. And yet the Second World War, for the most part, was not a touchstone in our country's history or society. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is is that when the veterans came back, they began to build up a new country. The wealthy, prosperous Canada that we know today emerges out of the Second World War. And those veterans left the war behind. They were starting families. The great baby boom of the uh, 1946 to about 1955. And we didn't mark the war in the same way. We didn't build the same memorials. There isn't a Vimy or a Beaumont Hamel. The National Memorial in Ottawa is, is so deeply grounded in the First World War. We adopted the poppy and remembrance both of which emerged from the First World War. So I wanted to understand that. And so that's what the book is about. And it looks at the very strange way that we didn't tell our story. We didn't tell our history. Of course, there was a lot on World War II for young people and older people to consume in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But it was almost all American, American films and British films and British histories and American comic books and toys. And so the book, The Fight for History, looks at that. It looks at how we forgot about our contributions. And then from about the mid-1990s, how we again turned to the Second World War, we turned back to it. The veterans themselves were aging and passing away, and they they fought for their history. They fought to remind Canadians of what that generation had done. And uh, I hope I hope some of the listeners um, may find that interesting, because I think it's very much about Canadian identity and our own shared history and the things that we choose to remember and those which are forgotten. And I, I think without giving too much away, it's a story of how the Second World War and that generation of veterans continue to be a part of this country, even though now... In 2020, we're down to about 30,000 of these veterans. So we're on the edge of losing them all. And I wonder 
where we will go from there. How will we remember? How will we commemorate? How will we reflect upon that service and that sacrifice? In all the source material that you've gathered, I'm guessing there are patterns. Has that helped you understand the impacts or maybe uh, cultural changes? One of the interesting things uh, I think about the two world wars for Canada is just the enormous impact of those wars on our country. I think of the First World War, uh, when Canada was a country of 8 million and 630,000 Canadians served in uniform. It was a great coming together uh, from across the country. Canadians from the West and the East and the Maritimes and Central Canada and English and French and New Canadians and Indigenous Canadians and Canadians from all classes and almost all religions, they came together in this great fighting machine, the Canadian Expeditionary Force, but it's also a great social experiment in bringing Canadians together. And it really did forge a new country, the awful experience of the war, the tremendous loss, more than 66,000 killed. But it was a war where we see women receiving the right to vote. We see the introduction of income tax. We see greater state intervention. We see a curtailing of civil liberties. We see the emergence of a Canadian identity. Um, and all of those are, are incredibly powerful legacies that emerge from the war, not the least of being the 550,000 or so who survived the war. We see the emergence of a, a state health care system to take care of the wounded veterans, of which there were about 170,000, of which about half had serious wounds that required on ca ongoing care. And so that's just some of the those legacies and some of the impact and the power of the First World War in that case. And the Second World War was no, no less important in changing Canada. And so for me, the two world wars uh, remain these really crucial events in understanding the modern Canada, the Canada of the 20th century, the Canada that we have today. They're not the only things. Um, that you need to know about this country. But if you don't know anything about Canadian military history, and this has always driven me uh, as a scholar, as a public historian, as a popular historian, if you don't know anything about the two world wars, you're really, you're not understanding the full country that we live in, a country that has emerged and been shaped by conflict and war. The modern Canada today is a complex place, but we can see many of the legacies uh, emerging out of 1918 and 1945. And for me, at least, um, that's a powerful motivator to keep studying and trying to understand what occurred in the time and then how those legacies played out over the decades since then. Do you think that you just have such a rich resource with all of these items and letters and all of the archive stuff that you have, do you think there's just too much of it and you'll never get to write all the books you want to write? <laughs> there is that feeling, right? There are hundreds of thousands, probably millions of letters and diaries from the two world wars. A small percentage have survived in archives and museums across the country. Uh, there's probably more still in, in the hands of families and their descendants. There's hidden history there in the material culture and in the uniforms and the postcards and the ephemera that has been picked up. I think of the incredible visual collections of uh, photographs and film and works of art. And so there is this incredible resource, I suppose, that continually uh, must be mined over time. 
And of course, I'm not the only historian doing this, but um, we work together um, and we we try to understand small bits and pieces um, in the hope that by putting enough of these together, we'll have a strong understanding, a stronger understanding of the past. And I, I do find that collaborative process, even if it's not always planned, to be one of the great joys of history, the layering of history upon history, the different interpretations. And I think that's just one of the many puzzles that continues to keep me interested. So you mentioned a little bit about the women in the Second World War. What was it that struck you about women when you were studying the World Wars? Were there any interesting things or stories you can tell us? Some 50,000 women served in uniform during the Second World War, and I think that's a that's an incredible story that many Canadians do not know. Women stepped up and uh, enlisted in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, in their own service arms, uh, they also served as nurses, as they had in the First World War. And um, that's a story where I've been very lucky to talk to a number of, of veterans uh, over the years, uh, women who served. They carry great pride in what they did, uh, almost always as very young women, about 19 to 25. They seem to be about that age. Um, and they, they felt that they had done their part, that they had contributed in that necessary war. Many had brothers who were serving as well. Um, many other had fathers or uncles who served in the First World War. And I think that we, we need to remember those stories. We need to talk about those stories. And of course, if we talk about the two world wars and we talk about these total wars, uh, wars that were shaped um, where, where very few people were able to escape them, uh, think of the enormous numbers of those who served. We need to reflect upon the mothers who were at home, whose sons had gone off to war, uh, wives whose husbands had gone off to war. They were left caring for their families. They were left trying to ensure that there was food on the table, that there was still lights that could be turned on in their houses. And um, the strain on them was a different type of strain but I think now in the middle of this pandemic, we have a greater sense, at least of the the constant anxiety and uncertainty of loved ones who are far from us. Um, and we see this in the newspapers, or at least in the day, uh, it was the newspapers that brought those casualty lists home after battles like Dieppe or Juno Beach. Um, and I, I have a greater sense now of, of having, as we live through this pandemic and um, the sense that no one is quite certain when it will end. And I reflect on on those women who served uh, and also those uh, on the home front and everyone else on the home front who are so deeply affected by these wars. That's a very good point. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Cook. This gave us so much to chew on and to think about. And hopefully if somebody does live close to Ottawa or if they're doing a trip to Ottawa, they're able to visit the museum once everything comes down worldwide, of course. So thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Cook. That was fantastic. I really appreciate the time you spent talking to me. For the book recommendation, I'm going to put up Dr. Cook's website so that you can have more information about all the variety of books that he has talked about. I will, however, recommend the newest book because it's such an interesting way to look at these soldiers and I have a copy of it and I can definitely recommend it too. 
so it's called The Secret History of Soldiers, How Canadians Survived the Great War by Dr. Tim Cook. And there will be a link in the show notes. You can also catch me on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at History A. And you can find my website, historya.com. There are blog posts and I try to give extra information when I can. So check it out. And of course, if you can, I would very much appreciate you rating this podcast. It does let people find me a little better. And your help in this matter is really, really appreciated. As usual, I'd like to thank my husband, Jamie, our brood of kids, our family, our friends, all my teachers that have been such a great influence over the years. Without you, I wouldn't be adventuring through history. Un grand merci.